Welcome to the official podcast of Solid Rock Church of Dearborn. For more information about our church, please visit us online at srcdearborn.com. Preach to you for a little while today. I was going to use the cordless mic, but I never let this thing leave my chin, so I'm just going to use this one. Um, there is a a scripture that I've been going over, and it's something that I've always been very interested in. It's it's an amazing, it's actually a miracle in the Bible that we don't talk about too often because it's not a miracle that Jesus did. Well, he did it, but not as a man robed in flesh. He did it as God in the Old Testament. But this is a miracle about Nehemiah. How many of you have ever heard the story of Nehemiah? I like I like Bible stories that they don't talk about all the time. Um, maybe because it's my job to study and read the Word, and so sometimes I see the same thing over and over again, and once in a while I find a certain little scripture, and I kind of like latch onto it, and I start getting a lot out of it, because the Word of God is a living, breathing thing. It's, it's always giving you new revelation. You could read the same chapter of the Bible for an entire year, and I honestly believe God could speak to you in a different way every time that you read it. Now, the truth wouldn't change, but what you get pulled out of it, there's, it's, how, how many of you have ever seen the movie Shrek? Okay, just throw it out there. It's, it's like, it's like an ogre. It has layers. You know, it's, it's, it just has tons of different layers that you can get down deep inside. And so we're going to go to Nehemiah chapter 6, and I'm going to read this, chapter 6, verse 15, and it says this, it says, so the wall was finished. Everybody say the wall was finished. I think it's in my slides there, Zach. It's, it's one of the two. So the wall was finished in the 25th day of the month in Elul in 50 and two days. Okay, that's King James language for saying, hey, this wall was finished in 52 days. Okay, I just, so you can help. It was on the 25th day of the, or the fifth day, whatever. It was 52 days. So we'll get that down. It says, and it came to pass that when all of our enemies heard thereof and all the heathen that were about us saw these things, they were much cast down in their own eyes. Everybody say they were depressed, <laughs> right? They had their eyes lowered. They were frustrated. For they perceived that this work was wrought of our God. And so I want to preach to you just for a couple minutes today how the wall was built. Everybody say, how the wall was built. So I'm going to preach you, and that's the title slot, how the wall was built. I'm going to talk to you and preach to you just for a little bit about how to build a miraculous wall. And I don't know about you, but I'm going to, I'm going to give a bold statement of faith today. And I believe that we can have the same power that the early church had. I believe that we can have the same power that the early church had. And you can agree with that if that's okay. I believe that we can see the same miracles, the same signs, the same wonders. I believe that we can reach out and lay our hands on somebody. And if we pray with faith that they literally can be healed and will be healed, I believe that God can do miraculous things in today's church just like he did in the very first century church. I believe in the power of the Holy Ghost. I just do. I absolutely believe that we can have revival just like they did in the early church. And this coming week, you're going to see it. I believe that God's going to do some miraculous things. Do not fall away because.
because I'm telling you, God's going to do some miraculous things in our lives this week. Now, the reason I say that with faith is because not only have I seen it, but I also have read it, and I've also experienced it. And so I know that God can do miraculous things. As a matter of fact, maybe you've even thought this week that I'm not really sure that God can do that with me. I'm not really sure, you know, maybe it's gone through your thought process. Maybe it's gone through your psyche. I don't know. You can say that God can do a miracle, but will he do it for me? Anybody ever done that? I know that God can, but I'm not so positive he's going to do it in my life. And then we start making excuses as to why that is the case. Well, you know, I'm I may be a little bit older in age, so maybe God is just finished with my life. I, maybe I'm just a little bit, maybe I deserve this. Maybe I just went through enough life. Maybe I smoked too long when I was younger, so I deserve lung cancer. Or whatever it is that goes through your mind, you convinced yourself that the wall can't be built. Or in other words, you've convinced yourself that God can do it. He's just not maybe going to do it for me. See, we can have an apostolic move of God. Now, when I say apostolic, I mean just like the early church. We can have that. And our young people, I want you to wake up, and I want you to slap yourself awake a little bit. I understand that you just came out of winter retreat, but this is the most important time of your day, and that is this. It's one thing to hear a sermon from somebody who comes through from a, 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 a retreat or a convention. It's another thing to hear the Word of God from a person who is your pastor. I'm just going to go ahead and leave that there. It's good to hear from your pastor. And so I'm going to talk about it just for a little bit. We, we look at this story, and the story of Nehemiah opens up with him in captivity and him working for the king. And people came in with an incomplete report. They didn't come in with a bad report. They just came in with a report that wasn't quite finished. They said, hey, look, the temple's rebuilt and all these things are happening, but the walls are in a state of disrepair. They are down in shambles, and Nehemiah was happy with the progress he just wasn't content without it being finished. And I want to say that in your lives. You're happy with the progress, but you're just not completely content with the unfinished product. There, there's something you're saying, God, I know you've begun a good work, but he who has begun a good work is also faithful to finish it and bring it to completion. So God doesn't want to leave us incompleted or uncompleted work. He wants to finish what he started in your and so we look at this, and he just was not happy because the walls were unfinished, and the gates lay empty. This may seem insignificant, but thank God for people who still value some walls in their lives, some gates in their lives. You know what? Let me tell you something. It's one thing to receive the Holy Ghost. It's one thing to say, I'm going to become a Christian. It's a whole other thing to start protecting yourself because that which is in you is very important. I'm not saying isolate yourself away from the world. I am saying guard your heart with all due diligence. Guard it. Guard that spirit that's inside of you. Guard that, that life that you're trying to carve out, that, that separation that you have made. Guard it with all of your heart. Now, you don't seem as excited about that, but let me tell you something. Gates are not meant to keep people as prisoners. The walls were not so nobody could get out. The walls were to protect them from things getting in on their lives. Let me tell you something. The world and the church were never meant to be mingled together. My, and I, what I mean by that is this. I'm not saying that people shouldn't come into the church. What I mean by that is this, and that is our culture should never have to reflect just the culture of what we see around us. 
Our culture was established 2,000 years ago and has never changed. We don't have to bring in a bunch of different things and say, well, I guess this is acceptable now. I guess this is okay now. I guess, I guess this is adjusted. No, we still have walls of truth around us. And we build it up and we make sure we maintain it and we make sure that it stays strong. And so, but I'm, I'm taught that was free, by the way. That, that was totally not in the, the whole perspective of what I was going to say. But, but we need some things that need to be protected. How many realize that your families need to be protected? How many realize your marriages need to be protected? Right? And so you obviously believe in some form of guidelines and some kind of guards inside, safety nets inside of your life. Now, the question is. How do we do it? How do we build the wall? How do we build the wall? How do we guard our lives? How do we guard our marriages? How do we guard our relationships? Young men, how do you guard your integrity and your purity? Young ladies, how do you guard your morality and your self-confidence and your image? How do you guard yourself? How do you rebuild up walls, especially once they've been broken? I used to tell our young people all the time, oh, I'm about to get really personal here as your pastor. I used to tell our young people all the time, they asked me how I felt about different things. I was like, well, once you've opened up a door, you'll never close it. For instance, once you've kissed somebody, it's very easy just to go back in and do it again. It's it's an open door. It's always going to be there. Once you've messed around, it's always, you you can go away for 10 weeks and you can come back in and let me tell you something, the doors are always open. You can't go backwards. Right, and so it's always open. Once you've torn down some of those walls, the walls are down. Now I'm talking about how to build them. I'm talking about how to guard yourself. I'm talking about how to establish something. And this isn't just in that situation. You guys are thinking about all kinds of different things in your. How do you guard your the way you approach life? How do you guard your mind? How do you guard your anxiety? How do you guard your peace? How do you, all these different things matter in your life? How do you guard your relationship with God? And so how was the wall built? This is a great question. How did the wall get built in 52 days? See, some archaeologists and historians have said that some of these boulders weighed in excess of three and four tons. And this wall was close to 200 feet high and several miles long. How in the world did a bunch of people with no modern machinery, no modern tools, they couldn't go down to Deluxe Rental and get themselves a forklift, and how in the world did they do this work? You ever ask yourself, how many of you have ever been in a building project of any form, right? It took me two years to replace a toilet. Just to kind of put this in perspective, we had a toilet that wasn't flushing very well, and I kept putting it off and kept saying, well, maybe we'll get into it. It took me two years to finally get around to to replacing the toilet. It took Mitch about 52 days probably just to build this little winding staircase for a dog, right? I mean, this is, (laughs) we're talking about a giant wall, 200 feet tall, several miles long, with boulders weighing in excess of several thousand pounds. How did they build? The wall. This is questions. Caleb, wake up. I know you're sleeping. I'm going to call you out. He's like falling asleep over there. This winter retreat just about whooped him. Just about. Sarah's like, hurry up, Jerry. <laughs> and so let me tell you something. 52 days. 52 days. How in the world did they accomplish this? Seth, how did they accomplish this in 52 days? 
I want you to think about that. How many of you have ever been in a building project? Todd, you've worked on buildings and stuff before. Can you imagine getting out there and saying, you know what, we need to, we need to do all this. We need to build even a house. Not, I'm not talking about a, 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 a miles-long wall that's 200 feet tall. I'm talking about a simple house in 52 days. It's just it's mind-blowing to me. It's, it's almost staggering, the amount of work and the amount of effort. And so you look through it. I was curious, how did they do this? How did they build this wall in 52 days? Like, how did they possibly get? I can't even buy a house in 52 days. And so I'm looking at it, I'm like, man, how did they do this? And so I started doing some studying into Nehemiah. I started taking a look into the culture a little bit. And I started trying to find some things that played a major role in a, and played a heavy factor inside of this building of a wall. And no, I'm not talking about the wall that Donald Trump is trying to build. I don't get paid on that. <laughs> Let, let's leave that alone. Because I know it goes inside your mind, building a wall, build a wall. Get out of your mind. Right? We don't go there. We live for God. We don't care about all the other junk. I'm going to say that again. I have determined not to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ and him crucified. This world is not my home. I don't care who becomes a president. <laughs> it is irrelevant in the whole course of my life. <laughs> Just so you know who your pastor stands, I don't give a rip. All I want to do is see Jesus Christ come for his church and prepare as many people as I possibly can. And, and then there's people who think it's funny that I said I don't give a rip. So that's fine. 52 days. I want that to keep going through your mind. 52 days. So I did, again, I did some research, and I, I, I tried to find some common denominators, and I found something. The first thing that they had, and if you take notes, this is all right. This is the first thing that they did. They were a people who had a passion for accomplishment. I just looked through that, and there was a theme throughout their lives. They wanted to accomplish things. They were driven they determined from the onset, we are going to get this done. They were not lazy people. They did not just sit back. They had a burning passion and desire inside of them to get something done. They had an overwhelming passion for accomplishment. You cannot get a wall built. You cannot get something established in your life. You will not have a healthy marriage. You will not have a great relationship with God. You will not have a great financial situation until you get a healthy passionate desire to accomplish something in your life. I watch so many people through that just live their life. They're content just to live, just to breathe in oxygen, just to, just, just to go throughout their day and never really do anything with their life. One thing they all had in common, they had this overwhelming desire to see something how many of you want your kids to go to school? How many of you want to, to see them graduate high school? Right? There's an overwhelming sense of I've got to get this accomplished. It's amazing because our kids work for 12 to 13 years trying to graduate high school, and they work hard for this. They get this goal in front of them, and they reach for it, and then all of a sudden they graduate that, and they graduate college, and then they don't know where to start. There is a need if you're going to build a have some safety nets around you. If you're going to do or accomplish something great in your life, you've got to have an overwhelming desire to accomplish something. To accomplish something. You cannot be lazy. I'm going to say that again. You cannot be lazy. 
we will never get the ball even rolling or started until there's something that burns inside of us that says this needs to get going. And let me tell you something, that goes for growing a church. Until people in this room that have a burning desire somewhere way down deep inside of them to reach their family, to reach their world, to reach their friends, to, to make an impact. It will never happen just because you talk it. You've got to have an overwhelming desire inside of you. It's, I think it was Ezekiel that said, it's like fire shut up inside of my bones. I, I can't even keep it contained. There has to be an overwhelming desire for accomplishment. The other thing that they had is they were a people of unity. They were not divided. They were not all trying to accomplish different little things and having their own little pet projects. They had one thing in mind. We are going to go and we are going to complete this project. And they were all doing it together all at one time. They went shoulder to shoulder and arm in arm in order to accomplish that which seemed impossible to man. They determined, hey, we are going to get this done. And the only way we're going to get this done is if we all do it together. That goes for every area of your life. You need a sense of unity with the people around you to really accomplish something. If the people around you aren't going to unify, find another group of people to get around because there just needs to be a sense of unity that says, hey, we can do this together. We are better than this. We truly are. We do these connect groups. We do this. We do it not just to do it as another program. We do it because we are better together and not isolated off on our own. We are better together. I think we've seen a lot of that today as we pray with Anthony and his family. We see a lot of that because we are better together. You should never have to walk through something like that alone. Not just that. We shouldn't have to walk through our good times alone and not have people celebrating along with us. We are better together. We just are. We will never get the job done until there is oneness of standing on the front lines of the battlefield together saying, let's go get this thing. There's this burning thing that we've got to accomplish inside. And so let's find other people that have that same burning desire inside and let's do this together. We won't grow this church without that. The Bible talks about one can put a thousand to flight, but two can put 10,000. It's about multiplication at that point. It's not about just adding a little bit of effort. It's about multiplying your effort, saying, man, if we can do this together. It wasn't just one person coming to prayer. I'm going to say, Sister Davis, it wasn't just one person showing up and coming to prayer, was it? It was all of them saying, hey, look, it's Friday night. You need to, let's let's go in together. Let's pray together. Let's let's fast together. Let's Hey, hey you need some help. I need some help, too. We're going to work together on this. I'm telling you, we cannot do this. There was an attitude of consistency, number three. There was an attitude of consistency. Not only did they have an overwhelming burning desire inside of them, not only were they unified, but they were consistent about their approach. They did everything, and they showed up every single time. It was not a hit or miss. I promise you, in order to build a, a, a wall in 52 days, everybody, To be the same thing. You're going to have to show up every day. You're going to have to show up, literally show up every single day. You can't take days off when it comes to really growing. It's so funny. The, the, the most successful people I've seen in my life, they are consistent. 
They have the same schedule. They actually even wear the same clothes. They, Monica was talking about it. She's got five outfits she's picking out for me. She's like, you're going to rotate through these five, and you're never going to alternate. I'm like, that's fine. Why? Because it's a consistency. There's something about consistent people who show up every day that accomplish things. They were not able to build that wall because some people decided to come every other Sunday. That's not how it was accomplished. It was accomplished because a bunch of people got together and said, let's do this together, and let's do this every day together. Let's get this consistency going. Let's, let's make sure this is happening the way that it should be happening. I'm telling you, they didn't have to worry about whether so-and-so was going to be in the right place at the right time. They didn't have to worry about that. Let me tell you something. Parents, you want to build healthy families? Consistency. The same discipline for the same thing every single time without stopping. When you say, hey, look, it's time for you not to do this, it literally means, hey, it's time for you not to do this. This whole one, two, three garbage has got to get out of your life. First time obedience. I said it. It's done. Why? Because it's consistency. And as soon as you get off of that consistent pattern, things start falling apart. Trust me, I've done it. (laughs) I've got off and I've gotten consistent. If there's anything that we've done right with our kids, and I'm just telling you about our parenting as, as pastor. If there's anything I've done right, and that is consistency, my kids know where we stand. And it's always the same. We've, we, we've allowed once or twice, and, and then we've regretted it, and we've gone back and said, no. Don't, tell, don't get me wrong. It's not perfection. It's consistency. It's the same thing put in front of them. Hey, look, uh, what about this Sunday? They never had to ask, am I going to come to church on this Sunday or not come to church? They were always going to come to church on Sunday. It was consistency. You don't have a choice. <laughs> and I, I, I have what I call a benevolent dictatorship in my family. We do not live in a, in a democracy in my house. Just so you know, in our, in our house, there is not a democracy. People don't sit there and say, well, I want this and I want this. Well, let's have a vote on it. I'm sorry, this is a benevolent dictatorship. You exist because I allow you to. We, <laughs> we do these things because I let you. It, it's not, it's... It's consistency. It's a consistency. And in order to get something accomplished big like that, you've got to have consistency. The next one, they understood order. They understood authority. In order to get something accomplished like that, trust me, it couldn't be all chiefs and no Indians. In other words, it couldn't be all leaders and no followers. Everybody understood the role that they played, and everybody played it well. In order for something to really happen like that in 52 days, everything had to be done with excellence and with order. You know, it's, it's in a church. It's, it's the greeters. It's the musicians. It's the extra hours of practice. It's the, it's, it, it's, it's the work that you put into it. It's the order. It's the organization. Now, this right here, this is hard for me to understand. It's not as hard for my wife to understand. And trust me, I'm going somewhere with this. I'm going somewhere. They understood order. They had plans of plans. They had all the T's crossed and all the I's dotted. They had everything listed out. They had the little, stick, the little sticky notes that my wife uses on everything. They had little pink ones and little yellow ones. And they had it diagrammed out. And trust me, there was order. They, they had some kind of consistency. They, they, they knew what they were doing. But then, never say then. Let me tell you something. If we're going to see God work in our lives, we are going to see him grow his church, 
we're going to have to have a passion for things. We're going to have to have unity. We're going to have to have an attitude of consistency. And we're going to have to have order in organizations. However, I know where I'm going here. However, at the end of the story, the heathen did not stare in amazement and say, look how passionate these people are. It's needed. But they did not sit there and say, look how passionate these people were. They did not sit there with their jaws on the floor and say, those were the most unified people I have ever seen. I want you to think about this. They did not seem shocked that in a day of age of undependability, when you couldn't just rely on anybody just to show up, comes a manager and, and he understands that not everybody just does their job the way they're supposed to in this day and age. You have to, like, follow up on them and, and, and ask them and beg them, please, please, just do your job, just do your job, just do your job, right? It's not even, that's not even the expected thing. Just doing your job is not even expected anymore. You're just going to go through and They weren't surprised by the consistency of these people. They never even commented about, wow, look at the order, look at the organization. It wasn't that so well and it came to pass that when all of our enemies heard thereof and all the heathen were about us and saw these things, they were much cast down in their own eyes, for they perceived that this work was wrought by God. They perceived that this work was wrought by God. I believe at the end of the day we need all of these things. Don't get me wrong. I think we need all of them. They're good and they're healthy. We need to read books on marriage, and we need to make sure we organize, and we need to make sure we self-discipline, and we need to make sure that we're together and we're unified. But at the end of the day, we need to be able to say, God did it. <laughs> at the end of the day, we need to say, you know what? In spite of everything, God still did it. I tried my hardest, man. I, I leveraged every bit of strength I had inside of me. But at the end of the day, we're going to be able to sit there and say, look what the Lord has done. Oh, look what the Lord has done. He healed my body. He saved mind. He healed me just in time. See, at the end of the day, it's not about how much effort we put into it, although we need that. At the end of the day, it's look what the Lord has done in my life. I am so glad that I don't have to depend just on me, just on my own brain power, just on my own might and my own strength. I get to say, look what the Lord has done in my life. If we are not careful, we start asking questions like, what kind of order did Nehemiah use? Was it thick or was it thin? And how did they leverage all those stones to the top? Did they use, What kind of lever did they use? What kind of pulley system did they use? Did they use a fulcrum? Or did they, you know, all these different things. And if you're not careful, you start doing the same thing with your walk with God. You start reading, how did Francis Chan do this? And, and how did so-and-so do this? And, and, and they just start asking questions like, Andy, how did you raise your kids? Instead of sitting down and hearing from God and being able to say, look what the Lord has done in my life. See, we get ourselves all messed up. We start thinking we can fix it. We can manipulate it. Somehow it's in our own power and our own strength. And if you're going to build a wall in 52 days, or if you're going to raise a family in this time in 2020, if you're going to raise kids who worship God, and you're going to you're going to have a marriage that actually lasts more than 12 years, and you're, if you're going to do all these things, yes, you're going to put your effort into it. Yes, you're going to do some organizing, and you're going to be passionate, and you're going to be unified. But at the end of the day, you better find a relationship with God. At the end of the day, you better lift your hands and say, God, I have no 
You better hear from God. Young man, you're not going to just start off and say, oh, but I want to do ministry and learn how to do all the preaching books and, and learn how. You got to sit there and have a relationship with God and say, God, I need a word from you. I need to hear from you today. You'll never know who am I supposed to marry, who am I not supposed to marry, what am I supposed to do. You're not going to learn that through a book. You're not. You're going to find that on your knees at an altar in an intercession saying, God, I have no idea. I'm telling you, you do everything you can. You try to raise your kids perfectly. You try to read the books and get Dr. Dobson involved, and you try to read Dave Ramsey and get your finances fixed. And I understand that. That's good. That's healthy. But at the end of the day, if you really want to plan how to get yourself out of the situations and how to rebuild walls, you get on your face before an almighty God, and you say, God, I don't know what I'm doing. I've added all these things. I've read as much as I can read. I've invested as much as I can. I've applied as much as I can. But, God, I'm still coming up short. I'm telling you, work, read, learn, be unified, be passionate. But at the end, leave the result knowing that you prayed. The results of this church are not up to me. I said, God, I've done everything I can. But God, it's in your hands. I don't want anybody to look and say, look what Nathan did. I want them to say, look what the Lord has done. I don't get credit for my kids. I just brought them to church and I tried to establish consistency. And you know what? Let God have a relationship with them. It's not about me. It's about them. I'm telling you, we want a cookie-cutter approach to everything. And God wants to give us a word from him. We want a cookie-cutter approach. If I eat these things, if I do these things, if I do this, then I'll live till I'm 95. That's not how life works. We want a cookie-cutter approach. If, if I pay my taxes, if I do this, that's not how life works. Because there's always going to be something. When you're building a wall in 52 days, or when you're trying to do what's the impossible, it looks like it's impossible. We've got to stop being so intimidated by a divine move of God. We've got to be, stop being so intimidated to say, you know what, I've done everything I can. Now I need a miracle. God, I'm going to put this out in your hands, and I'm going to see you do something amazing. Look what the Lord has done. I sent out a song this week. It's not by might, and it's not by power, but it's by my spirit, says the Lord. I'm telling you, replace that word heathen with the enemy of your soul. He can mess with the natural. He can get you off schedule. He can get you unorganized. He can mess with your priority and your passion. All oh, the many times I have experienced that. If we live for God just upon our passion, we're going to fail miserably. If we try to have a marriage just based off of passion, you're going to fail miserably. Try to raise your kids just because you like them a lot. You're going to mess up. But when the enemy looks at your life, I want our music to come. When the, when the enemy messes with your life, let me tell you something that's going to happen. I want you to get a mental picture. When you've been worshiping, when you've been fasting, when you've been praying, when you've been reading your word, I'm not saying you stop here. I'm doing this. You're still going to go through a lot. 
so you don't have to have your birthday party. You still don't have kids. You decide not to live your life. That's not saying there's not hope for us. I'm saying when we've done everything we can, place the word the heathen with the enemy of our soul. And watch what happens. He looks at our lives as, man, I try to create so much chaos. Man, I stepped in. And just like Job, as we taught on in Sunday school, I took away their finances. I took away their health. And yet the impossible seemed to be happening. We still seem to have this wall of worship and praise and, 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 and peace in their mind. They're still able to have peace. They should be able to have peace. They should be afraid right now. They should be scared out of their minds. They should be beating themselves up. They should be convicted and condemned right now from their past and from all the stuff that they they should be able to do this. Let me tell you what happens when we're doing that. In the middle of it, here's what happens. The enemy looks at you and he gets depressed. The devil looks at you and he hangs his head. He goes, oh, great. They got God involved in the picture. They just went. If their family was in turmoil that week, and they said, hey, we're going to pray. And then the enemy goes, oh, man, I had it. I had it. I just about messed their lives over, but they decided to put God in the middle of the picture. They decided to build a wall the impossible way. They decided to go ahead and worship God in the middle of the storm. They, they decided to worship him in spite of everything. Man, we almost had it. You want to give the devil a bad week? You want to give him a bad day? You want to dot him right in the eye? Leave him depressed instead of you depressed? You magnify him. You start lifting up his name. You start worshiping God with everything inside of him. The enemy will hang his head and say, "My, I was wrought. My head went down. And I got depressed because I seen what the Lord had wrought with his own hands. He said, there's one thing I couldn't mess with. The one thing I couldn't mess with was what God was doing in the middle of it. Trust me, I got to watch it. I got to go through all the stuff as a teenager that's awful. I got to watch a home fall apart. I got, I got to watch all that. And here's the enemy going, yeah, what you going to do about that? I'm going to give him a bad day. I'm going to give him a bad week, week Chase. I'm going to do it. I'm going to say, I don't care what's going on. I'm going to worship. Get a mental picture of you this week. Just mess up with the enemy of your soul's day. Walk through your house worshiping God. Giving him glory with your voice. Let the devil's perception. It says this, I perceived that this is the Lord's doing. Perception is reality. Let the enemy perceive what God is doing. Because it is a reality. God is doing a great work. Leave him with his head hanging low. I want to end with these scriptures right here. Psalm 60. I am wound up. I'm telling you, I'm ready to 
charged through a wall. For this is what Psalm says: Let God arise, and let His enemies be scattered, as those that hate Him flee before Him. In other words, say, look, let let God arise, or let all the other stuff just get out of the way. As smoke is driven away, so drive them away. As wax melts before the fire, so let the wicked perish in the presence of God. But let the righteous be glad. Let them rejoice before God. Yes, let them be exceedingly rejoicing. That's what God wants out of your life. Anthony, that's what God wants out of your life. As he's sitting there going, hey, look, you don't need to be depressed right now. No, I know it's going to be a hard I'm not And you watch what happens. The enemy starts hanging his head. He cannot fight that. He can fight your passion. He can fight your unity. He cannot fight what the Lord has wrought in your life. Psalms 34, I will bless the Lord at all times, and his praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make her boast, and the Lord, the humble, shall hear thereof and be glad. Let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he heard me and he delivered me from all of my fears. We know that just from singing a song. But then it keeps going. They looked unto him and they were lightened. Their face were not ashamed. The poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. The angel of the Lord encampeth around them that fear him and delivereth them. Oh, taste and see. That the Lord is good. I want us to do something. I wonder if there's people in this place right now who sit there and say, you know what? I've tried to keep my passion. It just seems like it ain't working. I've tried to be unified. It just seems like maybe my personality butts up against everybody. I've tried. I've read all the books. I've done all the math. But God, I want you to raw a good work in my life. Everybody who says, I want God to do it, I want you to stand where you are. I want you to come up here. And I want us to do that right now. I want us to worship God in spite of everything. Come on, let's see. Young people, in spite of being tired, in spite of everything, in spite of home problems, in spite of school problems, in spite of work problems and relationship problems and health problems and all the stuff that comes along with life.